Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. News anchor Hugh Edwards is named as the presenter at the centre of the BBC scandal. In a statement issued on behalf of his family, his wife said he's deeply sorry for what has happened and says she made the statement out of concern for his mental well-being. British police say there is no evidence of a crime. This is how the BBC is reporting the story tonight. But the Met Police tonight has ended its investigation, which means the case, or cases, now revert to an internal inquiry. In other news tonight, GEA and RTE face questions at a dial committee over the controversial GEA Go streaming platform. One date change for a game that was beyond our control, the fantastic match that followed, and some unfortunate commentary around our coverage set us on a difficult trajectory for the summer. And the cost of the new National Children's Hospital could hit two and a half billion euro as the Health Committee hears just 27 rooms have been completed so far. Do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight VMTV. Tonight, well-known news anchor Hugh Edwards has been named as the BBC presenter that allegedly paid for sexually explicit pictures, a scandal that's gripped the British broadcaster. His wife, Vicky Flint, says she has released the statement on his behalf out of concern for his mental well-being and to protect their children. The British police say there's no evidence of any crime. Hugh Edwards is one of the most high-profile and highest-paid presenters in the BBC and has anchored many key new mo news moments, including the death and funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The Palace has just issued uh, this statement. It says the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. Well, this evening, his wife, Vicky Flynn, said she is making the statement out of concern for his mental well-being and their children. She says that he has been treated for severe depression in recent years and is now receiving inpatient hospital care. She added that once well enough to do so, he intends to respond to the stories that have been published. The story was originally broken by the tabloid newspaper The Sun in the UK last Friday. Well, I'm joined now by Peter Cardwell, political editor and presenter at Talk Radio in the UK. Peter, you're very welcome to the programme. You might just bring us through, I suppose, the timeline of events this evening and how this played out on the BBC News at six o'clock this evening. 
very dramatic events here in the UK, a national broadcaster in crisis, this side of the RSC, as well as on your side of the RSC. Hugh Edwards, one of the best known and most respected broadcasters in the UK. And this afternoon, we were up to a stage where there were four separate allegations against him. And then his name circulating on social media, lots of people in the media knew who it was. I was fairly aware a few days ago, but of course, not 100% confirmed. And then this extraordinary statement from his wife, Vicky Flynn, a former journalist herself, putting into the open something that other broadcasters, for example, Jeremy Vine, who had been falsely accused of being that broadcaster, we've known for five days that this is a senior BBC broadcaster, but it hasn't been confirmed, Vicky Flynn saying it was her husband. He is the person accused of these things. Simultaneously with that, we've had the Metropolitan Police and indeed South Wales Police saying there's no case to answer. There's no criminality here. There's no police investigation. So really, these allegations are those quite simply about a marriage, a family in crisis, but those of someone who is an incredibly well-known face here in the UK and someone we now know is in inpatient mental health care as at least in part a result of the allegations of the last few days. Hugh Edwards has had a long history of severe mental illness. He said in an interview with Men's Health magazine a couple of years ago that he had such bad depression that he couldn't get out of bed some days. And of course, we've had the 10 o'clock news here being presented by other people. And on the six o'clock news this evening, this statement came around that time, was released around six o'clock. So dominating the BBC, the BBC reporting on itself and indeed the actions of its leadership. People like the Director General, Tim Davey, who is someone who has had severe criticism over the past few days because these allegations were first given to the police in April and to the BBC in May, but weren't acted upon. And indeed, Hugh Edwards wasn't informed of them until last Thursday when it was agreed with the BBC that he would stand down from presenting duty. So a dramatic week here on the media scene. Political reaction as well. Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, has been reacting to this even at the NATO summit that he's at in Lithuania at the moment. There was, as you said, really intense speculation being played out on social media with the name Hugh Edwards trending for days now. We saw the Mail newspaper running a poll, I think, on its front pages, how many people knew the name of the presenter at the centre of this scandal and a number of politicians commenting on this particular um, investigation. How has the game, I suppose, of guess who played out in the UK over the last five days? Well, it's a very interesting situation and context, certainly both in social media context, but also in legal context as well. There was a Supreme Court case here in the UK last year, actually, in 2022, in regard to naming individuals who are suspected of criminality but haven't been charged. That all came out of the Cliff Richard case. The BBC, in fact, sent a helicopter, there was a raid on his house, and then Cliff Richard was found to have done absolutely nothing wrong. So that went to the Supreme Court last year. So the context has changed in the UK law in terms of what the media can say. But certainly on social media, it's a bit of a wild west. And of course, the name was trending. But of course, there were many, many other suggestions of senior presenters, people like Graham Norton, people like Jeremy Vine, people like Nikki Campbell, the Five Live, Radio Five Live presenter, 
many people and they coming out having to deny it, in fact, and people saying, you know, they knew as fact that it was Jeremy Vine when it absolutely wasn't. The legal redress for that can happen, but it's costly and in many cases unsatisfactory. So certainly the name has been on social media, but until Vicky Flynn confirmed it this evening, no clear confirmation that Hugh Edwards was at the centre of this. But certainly many questions for the social media companies, Twitter, Facebook and so on, in terms of this speculation on how damaged someone could be. Someone like uh, Jeremy Vine or, or Nikki Campbell can be damaged by this, despite the fact they have nothing to do with it whatsoever. But Jeremy Vine and Nikki Campbell added, I suppose, to the pressure, didn't they, that was being put on Hugh Edwards and his family to come forward and identify himself as the person at the centre of the story. They both came out today and said, this person needs to come forward, should come forward. Will the pressure that they put on him backfire on them, do you think? It's an interesting one because I think there it was a, a Jeremy Vine certainly said uh, ironically he has a program on Channel Five television in the mornings and then he's a BBC broadcaster at lunchtime uh, on BBC Radio Two so he he actually made the comments on Channel Five about his other employer the BBC so quite a strange kind of uh, set of circumstances there but nonetheless he said that he was doing it out of concern for the broadcaster I think it remains to be seen what the reaction will be to him. He, because of the concern he says he had for Hugh Edwards, his longtime uh, colleague, of course, uh, he presumably was aware of the mental health impact or certainly anywhere that Hugh Edwards had had mental health problems previously. So perhaps it was coming from a good place. Perhaps it was coming from a sense that he wanted there to be some sort of almost relief in terms of getting it out into the open that Hugh Edwards was was having mental health problems and people could understand at least some of the context. It doesn't necessarily make it right. But I think in terms of the lack of criminality here, the lack of suspicion of criminality, perhaps abuse of power, we don't know. The BBC is, of course, uh, continuing to investigate this. The Sun newspaper has said it's not going to publish any more uh, investigations. It's going to leave it to the BBC's internal processes in this regard. So essentially, some of the pressure will have been taken off Hugh Edwards. But for someone who has severe mental health problems and is an inpatient at the moment, that may not come as any relief. We don't know. OK, Peter Cardwell, thank you for bringing us that. For more here in the studio, I'm joined by media lecturer Harry Brown and independent.ie political reporter Gabby Garifas-Gata. And we're also joined by Andrew Brady, who is on Skype, who we'll go to um, a little later. Um, Gabby, there's a real quandary now, isn't there, for the BBC? Because in the absence of criminality here, how do they balance, I suppose, the duty of care that they have to one of their main presenters, who, as you said, is an inpatient mm -hmm. uh, receiving care now for their mental health, against, I suppose, the other allegations that have been made against him and the potential, I suppose, for reckless behaviour on his part. How do they deal with that? Yeah, it's a really, really difficult situation for the BBC. And I think Valerie Flint saying in the statement, you know, Hugh Edwards' wife, he's going to be in hospital for the foreseeable future. So this man is seriously ill at the moment. I think she wants him to recover. I'm not, I'm not really sure what the thinking is behind naming him because now, fair enough, you had the speculation, but now you've said this is who that person is. 
UK journalism is a bit more cutthroat than I think Irish journalism. It, it may be very well possible that even after her statement, he still may be targeted by paparazzi and so on. So how does the BBC deal with this? Well, the Met have looked into it. They have said, look, there's no criminality, perhaps. The BBC had an internal investigation while the Met got involved. That was paused. That's going to resume now. So I think they do want to be seen to be establishing the full set of facts. Um, how far those facts are going to go, what's going to be done about them is not very clear. Hugh Edwards is going to be in hospital for the foreseeable future. I don't think we're likely to see him back on our screens for a very long time, if, if at all. And it does depend on the BBC. You know, what are they going to do? This has all been very public. The way the story has played out has been very hairy for The Sun because, of course, we saw mm. a lawyer for the young person come out and say The Sun story is rubbish. So, you know, they're facing serious questions also. But the BBC, of course, is the is the UK state broadcaster and it has to be seen to be, you know, leading the way and taking care, taking the best care of its employees. I think... You know, him being named now, it makes things even more challenging for them. Yeah, Harry, how do you think the BBC have dealt with this to date? The BBC is in an awful situation here. This is the BBC, after all, of Jimmy Savile. This is the, this is a BBC that cannot be seen to be standing idly by in the face of allegations like this. So clearly, they didn't deal with it all that well when the mother in this situation came to them in the first instance earlier this year, because that's how it ended up in the sun, because she didn't feel like she was getting satisfaction from the BBC. There are conflicting stories about the efforts that the BBC made. Yeah, I think they said the that story. The, the number that they had been given to contact her didn't work, that yeah. they had sent emails and that they didn't um, yeah. get a response, so that they had tried to look further into the story and were stopped yeah, from doing and, so. And there's a long-standing Murdoch Papers versus BBC story here that I think that this has to be seen in the context of as well. It, it's always good for uh, The Sun or any other paper owned by Rupert Murdoch to be seen to be putting the BBC under pressure. Um, the Sun, you talk about The Sun there. Yeah. They said their defence is that this man, that Hugh Edwards, is a household name, that he's paid handsomely, that he's paid handsomely from the licence fee. This sure. is public money and therefore the public has a right to know about aspects of his private life. The public interest is served by publishing this story. Do you accept well, that? First of all, the story has to be true. And certain elements of the reporting, the implication certainly in the original story that the person in question was 17 years old when indecent images were first sent, which would make it a crime. The Sun has made a statement tonight saying they never said it was a crime, but that implication was certainly there. So the story has to be true. The young person has said the story was rubbish. There's certainly questions about the reporting. But then that's the question of, is it really in the public interest? Is it enough that this is a well-paid BBC presenter to meet the threshold of private life becomes public? Now, back in my day, in the late 20th century, I'm sure a lot of your viewers remember, every day the sun was full of stories about celebrities doing bad but not illegal things. It was their bread and butter. But the, as your earlier guest pointed out, the privacy thresholds have changed. And they jumped the, the threshold. They decided the story was true enough to be reported. They decided the story was in the public interest enough to be reported. But then they didn't decide to name the presenter in question. And that, to me, is possibly the most interesting and most cynical decision. Because by not naming the presenter, they set off what you called earlier the game of guess who and frankly, made a bigger story of it over the last five days because of that than what it would have been if they'd reported last Friday that it was Hugh Edwards. But they now, couldn't, there are... I suppose, given the fact that there was an allegation, although not explicit, of wrongdoing, and sure. they can't do that well, in the UK if, now. If so... they had backup for the story, 
you know, they have a long history of naming people who they believe have done wrong. So if they've, if they've got if they've jumped those hurdles that say that reporting is accurate and the, the public has a legitimate interest, then the that last hurdle about naming him. I understand what you're saying about the, the potential legal liability that they're opening up. But they've caught up a lot of other people in a horrendous scandal. You know, people that were being named confidently on social media. It's a very sobering moment to have had this kind of five days of almost you know, carnivalesque speculation about who this was. And now to find out that it's someone who's in the hospital with a very serious uh, depression, mental illness. Will The Sun, do you think, be expected, Gabby, to produce any evidence or to come out and to answer questions publicly about the basis for this story? Is there any history of them doing that of their own accord? in the UK. Yeah, I think that's probably the key of their own accord. I think unless they are forced to do that, they probably won't. They have put out a statement tonight and they're saying, look, we haven't, our story never said there was a, you know, illegality. There was a concerned parent. We reported the, con the concerns of that parent and mm -hmm. we have a, a job to do. So I don't think unless they're forced in a legal way or otherwise um, that they will come out and answer any questions. I think they maintain that they did everything right on the point of not naming the presenter, you know, they're protecting themselves in a sense and, and there are legal challenges around that. Yes, it created a media circus because it was a sensational story. You know, I mean, this is incredible claims. Who is it? And then of course the rumor mill starts um, and, and, and it's very difficult to put a stop to it. You know, I, th I think there's a lot of concern around, around you know, Hugh Edwards, what, what happens next for him? But, you know, is the son going to take any responsibility for that? I, I find that hard to see. I just want to go to uh, journalist Enda Brady, who is joining us now from the UK. From what I could see on social media this evening, Enda, there seemed to be a huge amount of sympathy for Hugh Edwards. Is that the right read? Yeah, uh, do you know what, Kira? I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's a desperately sad and sorry saga that is nearing a conclusion now. And we now know who he is and we now know he's in hospital and he's going to be there for some time. That's according to his wife. So the statement tonight, I think, caught everyone by surprise. As the statement was being read out on one BBC national radio station, there were journalists in the TV studio talking about these fresh allegations that were being made. So the BBC does not come out with this in any way in a good light and we've got concerns about the, the mental health now of Hugh Edwards his wife is extremely concerned for him that statement possibly left more questions than answers there was no flat denial of the allegations you'll notice if you go through that statement forensically they say that he will in time address the allegations but I think there are questions now for BBC management I spoke to senior people at the highest level in British broadcasting over the weekend, top, top executives, and their feeling was, how on earth did it take seven weeks to put these allegations to him and to management? The director general didn't even know anything about this until Thursday. And the mother claimed she went into the BBC on May the 19th, and they're suddenly acting upon it because the Sun newspaper is pushing the agenda. And I think there would be questions for the Sun newspaper as well, they obviously knew who the presenter was from the get-go. And his battles with depression and his mental health situation is public knowledge over here. And yet they pursued this story because they felt it was in the public interest. So I think what you will see now is the sun rolling back from any further allegations. I think there will be a big blame game. And I think the next steps will be politicians getting involved. And it may even end up with some sort of parliamentary committee 
dragging in the director of the BBC and asking him, what's going on at your organisation? Yeah, and I think The Sun has come out of the statement this evening saying that they would not be printing further uh, allegations and that they would cooperate with the BBC. In the absence, as was a question there for Hugh Edwards, in the absence of any concrete evidence of anything unlawful, is what he does in his private life a completely private matter? No, I don't think it is when you are the BBC's main presenter reading the news. I mean, we've skipped past the allegation in today's papers that he broke lockdown rules to go and visit a young person in a different county at the peak of the pandemic. That is one allegation and very serious. You know, ministers have gone, prime ministers have been in serious trouble for breaching lockdown restrictions. So I think when you are the face of BBC News, you are presenting show after show. This is a guy who is at the heart of the British establishment here in terms of broadcasting. You saw the clip that you played of him. He was chosen to read out the Queen's death. He presented the broadcast coverage of Queen Elizabeth II's funeral. He hosted the last general election here in 2019 and indeed was involved with you know the king's coronation this is a guy who is mr bbc and given that organization and really high profile people who have behaved in absolutely appalling circumstances previously jimmy savile i think when you're the face of this new supposedly clean forward-looking bbc you need to be squeaky squeaky clean and i think the newspapers will use that as their defense that this was in the public interest here you had a guy presenting the news, face of the organization, supposedly a very, very respected broadcaster. And I mean, people are in complete shock here. There was the newspaper headline the other day that one in six people already had a fair idea who it was. And that was from going on social media, working out who's on telly, who's on holidays, who's not. Five out of six people, according to that survey, still didn't know who it was. So tonight people are reeling because he was just so respected so well-liked and so popular. And I think many people will, in answer to your question, will probably be wishing him a very speedy recovery and will be wanting to hear his version of events. His family, uh, finally, and have asked for privacy to deal with this. We know he has a wife, he has five children, he obviously has his own um, mental health issues. Will the UK media afford them that? They absolutely will. I think the media landscape here has changed so much in the aftermath of the previous BBC debacle with Cliff Richard when they put a helicopter up above his property when he was being uh, raided for something that he had no involvement in whatsoever. That was yet another BBC calamity. I interviewed Cliff Richard in the aftermath of that when he won his case and he, he still looked shell-shocked. So I think what will happen now is the tabloids will back off. There'll be some columnists tomorrow chipping in with their opinions. But I think right now the BBC have a duty of care to everyone involved in this, including Hugh Edwards, people will be wishing him a speedy recovery and people will be wanting to hear what he has to say. But there won't be any doorsteps of his wife, Vicky. There won't be any doorsteps of the children. I think they will be left in peace now after five days of, I'm sure the family have been through hell, as the other family will have been. So I think you will see the media now, the next 24 hours, this will blow its way out like a hurricane that has passed. And there will be more of a focus on the, the real issues that are affecting people here, like mortgages that are just getting so unaffordable that people are heading towards food banks. We leave it there. Uh, thank you for speaking to us, uh, Andrew Brady. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed here, you can contact helplines on virginmediatelevision.ie 
forward slash helplines. My thanks to Harry and to Enda. Uh, Gabby is staying here with me. And next, the GAA and RTE face questions at the Doyle Media Committee over the GAA Go streaming service. Stay with us. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, the Oireachtas Committee on Sport and Media has heard that RTE's controversial GA Go streaming subscription channel has had a total audience of 3.2 million over 42 games, with viewing figures for some games hitting highs of just 120,000. GA Go has been widely criticised after some high-profile matches were only available on the paid platform and not on RTE. Well, the GA and broadcasters faced questions at the Dial Media Committee today top end of things we would have had an audience in excess of 100,000, 120,000 for, for a couple of games. At the other end of the spectrum and perhaps the majority of the games uh, would run to, you know, if we have games that would have maybe 1,000, 1,500. So many children around the country didn't see that outstanding pass by David Clifford into Tony Brosnan for the second goal uh, against Tyrone. I mean, it was one of the most incredible pieces of skill I've ever seen on the field of play, uh, yet so many children didn't see it. I give the example of my own father. Um, he, he's got a knock at 3210 and then old They've been all dying to start with TV. They couldn't stream it. Well, I'm joined by Chair of the Oireachtas Media Committee and Fianna Fáil TD, Neve Smith, Sinn Féin Senator Nilo Donilia, who's also from the committee, Independent.ie political reporter Gabia Garifasgatia and former TV sports presenter Michael Lester. I'm also joined on Skype by the Fine Gael MEP Sean Kelly, a former GAA president. You are all very welcome to the programme. Uh, Michael, I'm going to come to you first. Why is GAA Go, in your opinion, such an issue for so many GAA fans and viewers? I think that there's, there's a bigger issue here. Um, GAA Go, first of all, was set up to look after people outside the country you know, whether you're watching in America or Dubai or whatever the case is, that was the original concept between the GEA and RTE. Um, what's happened this year has complicated the whole scenario. And I think part of that is down to the fact that this year and last year as well, the GEA have concertinaed the championship into a very, very tight package. And this is, this is more than about matches on TV. This is about the actual structure of the championship itself. I've seen counties go out week after week to play matches. There's no downtime. For example, a small little thing, um, 
The All-Ireland Hurling semi-finals were on last weekend. The All-Ireland Hurling final is on the weekend after next. Where is the time in between for not just recovery, but like media events? Because there are big press events coming up to an All-Ireland final and so, so forth. So this whole business of there are too many matches on at the same time, and therefore some of them have gone behind this paywall. That was never, and I'm not speaking here, by the way, and just to make this clear, on RTE's behalf, I'm just telling you what I, I know about it. Um, that was never the intention of the thing in the first case. So, so you why, think the overall issue then is sort of fixture congestion, as it 100%. were? 100%. I mean, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. The only people who don't seem to know about it is the people who actually created this issue in the first case, which was two years ago. But has I there mean, not been instances where there's been a match, let's say, on a Saturday and a match on a Sunday, and one has gone behind the paywall and one has gone out in RTE? You've had a situation a couple of weeks ago on RTE where there was a live GA match on RTE 1 and a live GA match on RTE 2 at the same time. That makes no business sense. It makes no... Can you imagine Sky Sport starting off the Premier League season in a couple of weeks' time and putting two matches up against each other or Sky Sport and BT Sport because they work together and work out the schedule and all that kind of stuff. It is just simply bonkers. But you, well, you do often have, you watch the Premier League on a Saturday, there could be five or six games all scheduled at the same time, wouldn't there? Ah, no, no, no. Not, not, not for live television, you don't. The big matches, I mean, they're, obviously, if, if uh, there's a weekend of, of, let's say, Premier League soccer, of course there's more than one game on. You know, but the but the point about it is the rights holder, like Sky Sport, they dictate the schedule to the Premier League. And this is where RTE are at fault. They pay the big check and then they sit back with their rosary beads, hoping that they're going to get something out of it. So they should have dictated a they better should, schedule. In my opinion, they should say, here's the check. And it is a very big check, by the way. There's the check. Here's the schedule. This is the day we want these matches on and this is the time we want them on. Deal with it. OK, do you accept that, Neve? Because one of the big allegations around all of this is that RGE, GA, GO have cherry-picked some of the big matches and put them behind paywalls because they are trying to, I suppose, encourage subscriptions to GA, GO. Mm. Well, I think that was probably the perception and perspective of a lot of the committee members today that, you know, how is that decided? What games are going on? We heard about the Kerry Tyrone game and, and various high profile games that people would expect to see on their national broadcaster and not be faced with a paywall. So um, I think that one of the things that came out of today is just how important broadcasting is for all of the uh, broadcasters within today, Virgin Media, RTE, Sky, it becomes quite a significant um, proportion of their overall revenue. So therefore... So did you get, sorry to go back to that issue, did you get clarity on who decides which game goes in RTE and which game goes behind the paywall? I think it was made clear to us when my interpretation and, and Niall was with me there today was that RTE don't get to pick that is my my understanding at the minute. They get the they Sunday don't. game, isn't that what they were saying? Yeah. And then the GA goes on the Saturday, that was yeah, the understanding. Yeah, yeah. But, but is there, I suppose, Niall, a conflict of interests here given the fact that RTE also have a role in GA Go? 
that is an issue of concern and has been an issue of concern because I think at the heart of this, while there are, of course, issues around scheduling, and I don't think anyone suggests that every single game is, should be shown uh, on RTE. There are obviously, you know, maybe more isolated people, older people who don't have access to online platforms. I think the fundamental problem here and where people feel the biggest injustice is the issue of the paywall. I'm still not clear, by the way, on the methodology of which games go where, and I made that point to the GA. So you didn't get clarity on that today? I, I, I would still have some outstanding questions just around, because it looks to me, and it was put uh, to the representatives from Common Luke Class Gale today, um, that certainly the Saturday games look to go behind a paywall, and the games on Sunday go behind or go freely or uh, on RTE. And that's just not sustainable because it's not fair because as, as Kerry people were complaining, you know, it disproportionately impacted them over a series of, of matches where a number of games were put behind a, a paywall. And I think the GA has to listen to um, audiences and viewers, but it also has to listen to its members who are clearly saying that what was a, a well-intentioned uh, initiative to support the diaspora mm -hmm. has now changed into something different. Mm -hmm. And they need to now change and adapt to ensure that young people right across Ireland are able to view these big, particularly the big, uh, outstanding, significant matches. Just okay, to just, sorry, point, just, just to make a point to you, Kira, back in my time presenting the Sunday game, I would know months out from the start of the Sunday game season what matches we were covering because you'd have to schedule. You know what the fixtures were because the fixtures are made by the end of the previous year, by the GEA and that. So you know what the fixtures are and we could we could look down and say we're going to do this match, that match or the other match. <coughs> what I'm saying to you is because of this new system that the GEA have and everything is kind of uh, thrown on top of each other, if you will, then there's this clash of games and then we had a Galway not Mayo... Not in every instance. Huh? Not in every instance. We do not have in, the no, Saturday, not in Sunday. every instance, but we had a Galway Mayo match uh, a couple of weeks ago and this was the one that clashed with the schedule match on RTE and that. So there's there's something wrong with the system. It's not the television scheduling. And I, I agree, by the way, with everybody. These things shouldn't be behind the paywall, in my opinion. Because At all. If, you, if you're paying big money to the GEA, then why should some of it be behind a paywall? I don't get that. All know. right, let me just go to um, Fine Gael MEP Sean Kelly, who's also a former GEA president. Um, do you agree that one of the big difficulties here is just fixture congestion? Do you accept that as an explanation? I think it's a major factor. And also, I think, in fairness to the GEA, they acted in good faith when they did this deal. But Sky, for some reason, weren't continuing. So their options are very little. RT got a the best of every world because they had the rights and they also were in GA Go. But you're right, the GA didn't probably see the growth, first of all, in popularity of things like the Munster Championship and the qualifiers this year, a whole pile of extra games that people want to see if they can go to them. And we have a situation now where RT can cover them. It's unfair to have them on a paywall because the GAGO was essentially, and it was a good idea and very helpful for the diaspora. So I think they really need to look at this again, take stock of the situation, go back to RTE, particularly now that RTE itself is going to be relooked at uh, by the government, and uh, see how they can best address it. And I think uh, stations like Virgin Media will have to come into the reckoning because without that, you first of all won't have competition. I never agree with monopoly in anything. And secondly, having at least a second station involved gives you more opportunities and more variety and also competition between them 
to see how they would present the games, etc. So I think if the GA don't do that, it's going to get worse next year and the year after. We have to take stock. We have to look at what has happened. And a lot of it, in fairness to the GA, was unintentional, I would say. They saw a good thing in terms of the GA go, making money. This seemed to be a good idea. It suited RT perfectly because they were getting half the profits. That was a big surprise to GA fans this year. They're not happy. And as Michael says, when your fans are not happy, then it's time to take stock and look at the situation again. Okay, and just to be clear, I suppose, RT and uh, GA said, look, there's no conflict of interest here, even though they are both involved in GA Go. I suppose one of the big questions, though, Gabby, that comes up time and time again, and you hear Christopher O'Sullivan talking about it there, is how the GA and RTE, who are both involved in GA Go, can justify putting matches online in a country where so many people still have such poor broadband. Yeah, that is, that is a really big issue. And, and, and just to say, on, on the RTE, they did make it very clear they don't cherry-pick the matches. There is no conflict of interest. They made that very clear at the committee. And yes, of course, people down in rural Ireland who do have really poor broadband, I actually think it was painted, I think it was by the head of the GAA, the picture was painted very clearly today at the committee. People who have good broadband have a good experience with GAA Go. People who have bad broadband have a bad experience with GAA Go. And if you're paying for a service and your internet is rubbish, why would you pay for it? Um, especially if it's a match that you want to see, a match that's relevant to you. Um, and that's really, really frustrating for people. Of course, RT are saying, look, that's a wider issue for the government in terms of the rollout of the National Broadband Plan and so on. You know, their responsibility is still to make those matches available. They are hammering that point home that we can't air every match. And we know that they make, I think the GA makes 4 million euro a year it emerged you know, from GA Go, which is the first time we're actually seeing those kinds of figures. And and, and you know, being transparent about those kinds of figures. So it's, it's interesting to see the, the service that's there. You know, it has been very controversial. I think some people might say it's been very useful to them if it works for you, if you can use it, if you can afford it, if your internet is good. But if you're missing any of those factors, it's, it's really not of much use to you. Um, now, do the figures that we heard today, and we heard figures for the mm. first time of, you know, 120,000, um, that's peak. That's, that's a good day. Maybe 1,500 is the average. Does that say to you that there's a demand for a platform for this? Well, I, I think there is a demand, and, there, and there's a demand that can be you know, tapped into if, if the platform is improved, if the service is improved in terms of the cost, because it's a double dunder. You know, people who are paying for this and who don't have great broadband are paying for a service that isn't great. Then you have the uh, added issue of the fact that they're paying their license fee to the public uh, broadcaster, who then in turn, people see this as a double fee on top of their license. I made the point at the committee today, I obviously pay my license fee in the north. The games that aren't uh, broadcast on BBC NI, which are behind the red button, remain free. So there's no additional charge beyond the license fee. And I think that's a model that the GAA and RTE seriously need to look the at. BBC does have a lot more money though than RTE. I, I, no, I, I appreciate that and I don't know that maybe your colleagues in the North would argue that they have a particularly big budget, but nevertheless, well, the important thing is here that we know just how important the GA is to our society, particularly to people uh, in rural isolated areas and who want the avail of this service. And in my opinion, as a Gael, it should be free to air. Um, it doesn't sound from what I heard today that it is going to become free to air. Do you think by addressing the platform, the pricing plan, I think they said today they'd look into that next year. Do you think that could quell some of the anger? It doesn't say it'll be free, but maybe they'd look at the pricing. I No, I think I think the issue is bigger here. I think that there's, there's 
rightly been a lot of controversy, and we're discussing this controversy here at the moment, uh, about the whole scenario. I think we've been so used to, in this country, of getting our GEA free. Like, when I was a kid growing up back in the early 60s, you turned on the RTE and you saw, OK, you didn't see that many matches, but you still saw them. Whatever you saw, you saw them for free and that. And we're in, in a different world now. I mean, it's a completely different world in terms of media and television. So we have to accept that. We have to accept that there were changes. But I, I can fully well, People, understand. I think, accepted the changes with Sky a little bit better, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But, the, but that's my point exactly, Kira, that, there, that there's, there's an issue here. When people are paying their TV licence and RT are paying multi-million pound uh, contracts to the GEA, to then people find big matches, not just any old match, but big matches that they have to pay extra for as well, that kind of sticks in the crawl. And I can get that. I can get people's frustration with that kind of a scenario. So that needs to be sorted out. That needs a conversation between RTE and the GEA to say, look, this is only annoying people. Let's get this sorted. And for me, the way to get it sorted is expand the championship season out again to what it used to be. I know that sounds old fashioned, but create more weekends in it. Don't have the hurling final as it's going to be at the end of July. Push the thing back out. You create more space. Yeah, I just I suppose I'm just conscious, Neve, that the head of sports in RT today, Declan Bennett, said that defending the position, they said the coverage has grown from 40 games in 2018 to 70 games in 2022, that this has been positive, that there is more sport on RTE than there ever was before. Yeah, and I think we can't lose sight of the fact, and I can just give you the anecdotal example, the GA Go was set up to... Uh, touch, reach out to the people, our diaspora who are living abroad. And Kieran Cannon, who's a former minister of the diaspora, has said how impactful he has. And I have had the experience of being abroad and people saying to me, who've lived abroad for quite a number of years, went abroad, we'll say, to the States because of playing hurling okay. or football and are part of clubs out there. So you say GA go for diaspora only shouldn't be here in no, Ireland? No, 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 absolutely not. I'm just saying that that was the starting point. I think mm. we have to expand upon it. I think Michael's absolutely right. I hear it all the time. The championship's just too condensed. Mr. Bennett said it himself today. They just can't possibly show them all now. That's not entirely their fault when you see how it, how crushed all of these games are, one on top of the other. The final thing I'd like to say, and there was a sense if it came across, we have to make sure, and the GA have to make sure, that there isn't that generation left behind, the people who don't use, you know, paying online or Revolut, that there's still cash facilities available to them, that they can access these games. I think that's really, really important. And I think, to be fair to Mr. Ryan, I think now I'd have to agree to me, he did see to take note of everything everybody said today. He did acknowledge those problems and said there was a willingness there to try and address those. All right, that's Tom Ryan, uh, the Director General of yes, the GA, just in case anybody is see. wondering. All right, we're going to have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Michael and to Sean for speaking to us. The others are going to be staying with me and next we'll be talking about the spiralling cost of the Children's Hospital and RTE who are set to face more questions at PAC tomorrow. Do stay with us. You're very welcome back. Neve, Nile, and Gabia are still here with me. Well, today, today's heard the cost of the National Children's Hospital could hit two and a half billion 
euro. Uh, Neve, this came from the head of the development board at the Children's Hospital. That figure of two, somewhere between two and three billion has been bandied about for a long time. And I remember Stephen Donnelly saying not that long ago, it wouldn't go that far. Has the government lost control and credibility at this stage when it comes to the Children's Hospital? Well, I have to say, Kira, I'm um, in the Dáil the last seven years and it's always been such a controversial issue, even when we were in opposition. You know? And I remember thinking at the time, if we got into government, could we do anything to reverse things at that time? And sometimes, you know, it, you're so far into it, I, I don't see any way out. It is staggering, eye-watering figures. Like I, I can't defend that. I, I've read a little bit about it tonight. I hear things about inflation and, you know, the war in Ukraine and all the usual stuff. And we can relate that to everyday costs of anybody doing any building project. We've seen all building projects go through the roof. I know that from uh, projects that are going out my local authority. It is across the board. It but not is, to this extent. Not to this extent, of course. I mean, it will probably the, be the most expensive hospital in the world, dare I say. That's kind of the, the, what I'm hearing so far. That's not, that doesn't say a government that is in control of this project. As you know here, when these set, these are set out, there's always terms and conditions, there's guidelines, there's criteria. Government will have to accept if they come along with extra costs, somebody has to pay the bill. Um, and I've heard something like, you know, um, additional costs that have come along in the, in, the, in the figure of 16 additional costs around, you know, mechanical and technical commissioning and all that kind of thing. I mean, there will, of course, there has to come a point where, you know, you stop, you, you have to say enough is enough. However, this project is, I would think, nearing completion. Um, I would hope that it will still be in a position to actually open next year for the patients that need to get using it. Well, we and don't I think, have that completion date, do we, Niall? And it'll be at a huge, huge, huge cost to the taxpayer. A, a, a huge cost to the taxpayer, you're right. Um, I mean, it's been a fiasco. Uh, from start right up until this point. And we were talking about the GAA earlier. The government have just been hurlers on the ditch in relation to this. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And all the while, the taxpayer's being taken for granted. And also, most importantly in all of this, children who are ill and children who will become ill and their families are being left a language yeah. on waiting lists. So that's the reality of this. That's the, that's the impact say, of this. The teacher did say, look, that they are going to be contesting and they are actively contesting multiple claims here. Well, I mean, look... You can contest all, all you want, but nevertheless, the board and the contractor are in open conflict with each other. We don't know what the completion date is. We still don't know what the final figure uh, is going to be in relation to this. We do know that it will be hundreds of millions, billions uh, of euros. And all the while, you have a government here now who can't deliver a hospital, who can't deliver housing, and are absolutely punishing the taxpayer and taking them for granted right before our eyes. And we're just going to have to move on briefly. Um to tomorrow, uh, Gabby, uh, because we've been covering the story for weeks now on the programme, um, already back in front of the Public Accounts Committee again, and this time the new DG, Kevin Backhurst. What is he likely to say? And maybe more importantly, what is he likely to be asked? Yes, yeah, so he will make his debut at the PAC tomorrow. Kevin Backhurst, in his opening remarks, is expected to say, look, that 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 RT should not have any sort of a commercial role when it comes to contractors. He's saying that that's really not, not acceptable. He's also saying there was a lack of transparency, of course, which we have heard many times. What's interesting tonight is that RT have sent in a part of that Grant Thornton review, that second one that they commissioned um, to look into that €120,000 payment to Ryan Toberty that still remains a mystery, and also the top 10 earners. Now, the Grant Thornton review has found that no other top 10 earners were affected um, in terms of any hidden payments and so on, apart from, of course, Ryan Tuberty. 
But what it is saying is that I believe there's one presenter whose pay was over-declared by about €1,000. Grant Thornton's not taking a very big issue with that. Still, mystery remains on the €120,000 payment. Tomorrow will be an interesting one for the PAC. And we've had a few ex-RT bosses that have declined to come before PAC, even though they've been invited. Uh, Bride O'Keefe, who's the former chief financial officer, she, of course, um, made really quite strong evidence last week. But if you, if your viewers watched uh, Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly yesterday, you know, they very much so contradicted a lot of her evidence. She sent in a, a statement mm. saying, you know, I don't want to come forward. I've made my remarks. I don't have anything else to add. Also, a former chair of the RT board, Moira Doherty, also saying she's not in a position to attend. Yeah, for you, what's the, the remaining question for Kevin Backhurst tomorrow, do you think, Neve? Well, I think he, he's got off to a good start. And I mean, that, that is going to, I suppose, quell fears about where RTE's future will be. And I think that has needed that steady hand. I think it's it's good to see him in tomorrow. However, I would prefer to see that Kevin got an opportunity to settle into the job, that the staff got more of a sense of what the pathway forward is the next couple of weeks and months. And as a me as the media committee that RTE is actually responsible to, we look forward to having Kevin in when he's had an opportunity to bed in these new ideas, these new ways of working uh, over the coming months. All right, we're going to have to leave that there. That's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. And you can find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, BMTV. Thank you to all of my guests and to you at home, but from the team here. Good night. Take care.